welcome back everybody to the second episode of the green doubt podcast with tatiana and maddie you've made it so far we're happy that you're joining us today we have really cool things going on but before we get to that we're just going to do a little life check and give you guys an update with us don't worry it won't be more than a minute hopefully um it's a monday right now that we're recording this so it's officially midterms week even though midterms has been going on for like a month now i'm pretty sure so um we have like big tests coming up, or at least I do, and um, I'm just really trying to focus in on that. But Tatiana, tell us about your Monday. What are the vibes for the week? My Monday has been a pretty average Monday, I'd say. I slept in, I went to class at one, heard about an assignment that I didn't know about, and then I tried the new Starbucks brown sugar latte with oat milk, and it's beginning a lot of hype. I've seen it on TikTok, I've seen it on Instagram, and it is not, it does not add up to the hype. It is not, (laughs) not that good. But yeah, that's how my Monday's going, so can't really complain, it's been pretty uneventful. Um, I don't have any midterms this week. It was pretty weird, I had my midterms over the past two weeks instead. Um, So I'm glad those are over, but they came way too soon. I don't know why they were so early. Yeah, speaking about midterms, I'm really excited for the essential milestone class that I have. That's about happiness because we have two midterm tests. So not only is it not done after this week, but I have another test that's the exact same in a couple weeks. So no complaints here. I'm going to learn a lot about Jane Austen and sociological happiness and all those fun things. So we're trying to have positive outlook. The funny thing about this semester is we're, me and Maddie are both taking essential learning classes and I signed up a little too late. So I got the only essential learning class that was available, death and dying. So Maddie is taking a class about happiness and I am taking a class about my biggest fear in life, death. Can you tell our listeners what's been the hardest part about taking a class about death and dying? So in my death and dying class, obviously we learn a lot about death and the death processes and all of that good stuff. Um, But we also get to read really morbid stories for our discussion posts. And the last discussion post we read was about a girl who died having the same surgery that I did. So it's been a very morbid, horrible class to take, and I'm really not enjoying it. Back to you, Maddie. Thank you for giving us that solid outlook. I think... We could have maybe filled in those blanks before you signed up for that class, but I hope it helps you get over that fear. We have a very special episode to bring you today. We have our first interview with Ryan Biller, who is the president of Sustainability Council, and we get to learn a little bit more about the community outreach that they have, what they're doing on campus, and what they plan for the future. And we also got to talk to Ryan about his flexitarian diet, which is mix of vegetarian and vegan so that was super interesting and we also had a bit about fast fashion and where i shop and where tatiana shops and then my favorite thing that we did was talk about reusable makeup remover wipes and the different options that there are so keep listening and we'll be back with ryan biller today we have on ryan biller he is the president of the sustainability council ryan tell us a little bit about yourself um yes i am the president of the Sustainability Council, as you both know. Um, I kind of, I ended up stumbling into that position in a way where we had a really sudden turnover in the Sustainability Council. Ian Thomas was our president before, um, and then he uh, ended up resigning halfway through, and I was vice president at the time, and so then I just kind of got thrown into it. 
And I mean, so far, Sustainability Council isn't bankrupt. Um, we're doing all right. So uh, yeah, it's going, it's going pretty well so far. <laughs> you know, it could be a lot worse. How would you say this semester is different than past semesters with Sustainability Council? Um, I would say, obviously, because I am still somewhat new being a sophomore and whatnot, um, I, I can only speak for about two years within the history of the Sustainability Council. But I think that we're uh, very organized. In fact, I think we've been, I think we're actually, I'd say that we're more active than we have been within, um, since probably, you know, late 2018. Is we probably, this is probably the most active the council's been um, in a few years, just because um, we're, we're really on top of things this year. We're, we're averaging about three to four events um, per week, which is pretty good. This week is somewhat light, but um, yeah, I mean, we're just really involved, and I think we're starting to kind of expand our sphere of influence on campus, you know, collaborating with other clubs and organizations, um, and just I think making our presence felt a little bit more so than in uh, years past, which is, I mean, that's, that was the objective, so. Mm -hmm. Who are you working with this semester? Um, so that's one of our primary goals uh, in terms of uh, what we're trying to do with the Sustainability Council. Um, we've uh, collaborated with Black Student Alliance, um, other parts of the Cultural Inclusion Council, um, uh, PAC, uh, different elements of student life. Um, we're working to collaborate with the Polynesian Alliance, the Native American Alliance, um, the Genders and Sexualities Alliance. Um, so what we're trying to, and the, the reason behind that is because for the longest time, in terms of the Sustainability Council, we've always drawn in the same demographic, mostly being people who um, are studying the same thing, so environmental science, or biology. Uh, a lot of the people, we tend to get this, just the same cut of the demographic every time, so Caucasian, uh, middle to upper middle class, people who kind of, who, who, who don't have enough time on their hands, enough spare time to be concerned about sustainability. Uh, and so, of course, we want all those people. Um, however, we need a sustainability and actually being able to mitigate the climate crisis will never actually be a feasible thing if it's not a human issue. And so that's where we're drawing in people from all across the aisle, uh, people from all walks of life, really, um, to make it known that there's this is more about just simply saving the trees and the whales, and this is a lot more interconnected than we think it is, and it's a human issue rather than just like a, oh, this person's got a green thumb and therefore they should be concerned about this. This is just something that all humans should be concerned about because it's going to affect all of us at one point or another um, if it continues to go untreated. So that's kind of the idea behind why, to answer your question, why we, we have such this emphasis this year on a wide uh, collaboration with all sorts of different groups. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Are you guys just, uh, so are you guys focusing on more CMU collaborations or are you guys doing community outreach as well? Um, with COVID, it's kind of tough to do community outreach because there's some certain parameters that we can't uh, leave. So we have to stay within um, the jurisdiction of student council and the rule, or not student council, uh, student life and the rules that they've set forth. But we have reached out and we've done a few things with uh, communities. We've uh, reached out to Heaven Scent, which is that soap shop. Um, they work to uh, produce organic soap and the, their, their goal is to produce as little waste as possible. So they're, they're a sustainable local business that we're trying to kind of help promote in some ways. Um, a few other local businesses that we're kind of in the mix with, that's still kind of tentative right now. Um, uh, and then we're also looking to do a miscellaneous item recycling event um, in Earth Week, so towards the end of April, which would involve the community, so we'd be pulling in people to recycle just a bunch of weird miscellaneous items, crayons, um, tennis balls, 
um, golf balls, uh, eyeglasses, that kind of thing, just a bunch of random sort of stuff that you can't get recycled at your local um, recycle center. So that's kind of the scope and angle that we're going for right now. Um, but yeah, with COVID, it's somewhat tough, you know. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of exciting things coming up in the future. Yeah. But what are you most excited about for Sustainability Council? I think I'm excited about the growth. Um, there does seem to be a lot of opportunity for growth right now, but I think the thing that I'm most interested in and the thing that I, I think gets me the most excited would probably be the actual activism element of it and actual, actually being able to make measurable change and impact that we can actually look at and quantify. Um, and what I mean by that is one of our primary objectives within, between this semester and the, this upcoming semester, so fall of 2021, is going to be phase out all styrofoam that Sodexo uses, our food provider, within the dining hall and other the food venues in and around campus. Um, I think when, when I was looking at the, uh, uh, the yearly waste report that the school puts out, I think we're averaging about 3,300 tons of waste um, on average on an annual basis. Um, and most of that is contributed by the UC, the University Center. Um, and within that, most of it's coming from the dining hall because you have so many, especially with COVID, the issue's been exacerbated so much because everyone's using uh, single-use to-go boxes, which are styrofoam. And so if we're able to phase that out by working with them and collaborating with them, I think we'd be able to really reduce and make a dent in how much waste we're producing on an annual basis. Um, just because styrofoam is such a terrible thing to be putting out there because it takes such a long time to decompose. Hundreds and hundreds of years is what we're talking about. Um, so to be able to phase that out once and for all, and it's not even an option anymore, then you're gonna have everybody forced to use it. Um, and sometimes that's the best way to make long-lasting changes. When it's, when it's only uh, optional, uh, only the people that really care and are willing to kind of take that inconvenience of getting a reusable to-go box are gonna do it. So if it's completely banned and prohibited and there's not even an option to use styrofoam boxes, um, everyone's gonna have to use it and we're, not gonna, we're gonna see far less waste than we've been producing. So that's, I think, what I'm most excited for. It's gonna be an uphill battle, um, but I think it's well within our reach, and I think it's something that we can probably count on seeing within the next year or so at, at CMU. So that's, that's what I'm probably most excited for. Yeah, I remember um, when I was living on campus and I was in the dorms and had the meal plan and everything, um, styrofoam was like, like the green reusable boxes were just becoming a thing, and I think they had just implemented them like a semester ago. Yeah, very pretty recent. Yeah, very recent. And I remember there was a lot of efforts, of, you know, a lot of people trying to f try and get the styrofoam off campus, but it wasn't really going anywhere. And I like that Sustainability Council is really taking initiative this, this year, and I think that's one of the biggest things that's going to make a difference on campus. And like I mentioned, I think the biggest problem is that because it was optional, only the people who are actual, actually pretty conscientious about the issue and the negative impact that st using styrofoam actually has, those are the people that are going to use it, whereas most other people who are indifferent or apathetic to the issue, they're not gonna buy in and they're not gonna use um, reusable options. And so by making it just, eliminating it entirely, everyone's just gonna be using reusable. And so even the people who otherwise wouldn't be on board, and then it'll just become a culture shift where that soon becomes the norm. Um, Sodexo, again, the provider of uh, food and the one who sources styrofoam at Colorado Mesa University, their biggest concern right now uh, in terms of phasing out styrofoam is student pushback as a whole. So they're worried that students are going to say, well, I like to taking two styrofoam boxes because it, I, I'm able to get more food by doing that. 
I'm able to increase the servings that I'm allowed to have later at night. Um, that's, so they're worried that they're going to get some sort of student pushback. Um, so I think it's important uh, to get as many students as we can to make it known to Sodexo that um, that's not going to be a problem and that we'd actually rather have a school that prioritizes sustainability rather than neglects it. Yeah, I totally agree. And going off of that, everybody's environmental journey starts at different times. So by having Sodexo like, push this on campus, I think it would like kind of force people to look more at sustainability and like in like putting that in their life more if that makes sense and initially I think you might have some pushback like we you know but I think at some uh, at some point when you get more and more new waves of freshmen and that just they're kind of just born into it that's just kind of what it is that's the norm mm -hmm. then I think it's just gonna become it's gonna be very normalized and there's not gonna be any resistance anymore from that point yeah I agree and like when you think about it compared to other schools in Colorado CMU is very behind. If you look at like CSU or CU, we, yeah, that's something I've noticed that we have a lot of room to grow. You know, we definitely, it's, it's well within our ability to be more sustainable as a school. Um, obviously we've seen that the school has been, the infrastructure of the school, the, uh, the emphasis on expansion from President Foster, there's, we, we have the funds and we have, it's, it's, in our, it's well within our means to be able to be that sustainable school and compete with all the other schools out there who are um, kind of setting the, the, the bar for what sustainable, sustainable education looks like. But we're just, it's not a priority from the Mesa administration right now. So hopefully if there's um, more bottom-up change, meaning that change is being pushed by the students, then I think at some point if the school sees that students care about this and students want uh, a school that has an emphasis on sustainability, then I think it will become something that the school itself will start to implement and put more of an emphasis on, which would then lead to more top-down change. And there's a lot to be said for both, but I think sometimes it's most effective to have top-down change. So that's kind of the objective of what we're trying to do with that. Is there anything else that you want to add about what Sustainability Council is doing on campus and or like what you would like students to do to participate? Um, well, yeah, we, ha we have a few, I mean, I guess those, those two things were the primary things I'd like to, I wanted to talk about, the collaboration and then working to phase out styrofoam. Obviously, there's a bunch of like little small things within that that we're working on. Um, I think the most important thing for students to, to know is that just coming to uh, events and following our Instagram and getting updates, that's, we're going to start to be promoting um, ways that they can get involved and kind of help push this agenda of trying to phase out styrofoam. And so that's where we really get the information on that. And we, we definitely need as, many help, as much help as we can. Um, it's not something that only we can do alone. We need student body. So that's going to be the best way to go about doing that. But that's, that's basically it. Yeah. yeah, I love that Sustainability Council is, because I remember when I first got here, uh, I knew about Sustainability Council, but it wasn't as, uh, the word wasn't getting around as much as it is now. And I love that you guys are really like, really like reaching out to everyone, making sure everyone on campus knows what you guys are about, making sure that everyone's involved. It's really cool. Yeah, we've been using the word transcend a lot, probably too much, but the idea is to make it like, we're trying to make this more of a ubiquitous sort of thing where everybody is starting to realize that, um, and I mentioned this earlier, but I think some people have this real skewed perception of what sustainability is, and that they have this sort of weird sort of stereotype in their head that it's only for the hippies, or it's only for those who like are concerned about, oh, like let's save the wolves, let's save the mountain gorillas. And that's certainly an element to it, but it's, it's more than even that. You know, there's this real interconnectedness with climate change and it's such a complex issue that's gonna affect all of humanity. Um, 
whether you like it or not, whether you care about sustainability or not, which is why this really does need to be a human issue and we need to kind of transcend where we've been in the past few years, where it's this real niche group on campus. It needs to be a group that kind of brings everybody in, in spite of any sort of differences and that sort of thing, because it's something that's going to affect everybody. Intersectionalism is the foundation of right. environmentalism. Exactly. Well said, that's a good word. Yeah. I don't use that, I should use that word more often. Yeah, one of my coined phrases. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for letting us talk yeah, to you about Sustainability Council. We are going to start our food segment next, and we'd also love to pick your brain about that because you are vegetarian. Yeah, I, you know, I actually use the word flexitarian now in terms of, and what I mean by that is like, I'm mostly vegan. However, for example, you brought cookies, and I'm sure there's an egg or two in there, maybe some milk. So uh, the term flexitarian, Tony Horton, the guy that like the P90X creator, the founder of P90X, that workout program, super ripped, he's like 50 years old. He's a flexitarian too, so that means that he's otherwise a vegan, but if, there's, if he's at a barbecue or something like that and there just happens to be some sort of like pastry that someone cracked an egg in to cook, he's gonna eat it. Um, he doesn't change on meat, I mean, that's, and that's kind of how I am too, but that's kind of the idea, um, being a flexitarian, meaning that you're gonna be vegan as much as you can, kind of an imperfect, imperfect vegan, you know? You're going to eat exclusively plant-based um, with some, so not exclusively, you're going to eat plant-based, but then there's room for leeway in certain social situations and whatnot. Um, with just small things like eggs or cheese and that kind of thing. And you're living off campus this year for the first time. Um, how, as compared to the dorms, how are you adjusting to your flexitarian lifestyle? Yeah, it's, it's actually easier because I think I feel bad for those who want to be uh, eating a plant-based diet on campus. I think it's actually significantly harder because when you're eating at the CAF um, or the dining hall, the options to eat a plant-based meal are somewhat limited and oftentimes, yeah, I mean, and they're usually not even the most appetizing compared to the other food out there. So it doesn't make it totally conducive for a student who does truly want to eat that diet to be able to do so. Now, for me living off campus and I get to dictate everything that I'm eating and what I'm buying, um, I'm able to I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very straightforward. I mean, you have an entire supermarket um, that I can tailor my entire shopping cart in my, for my diet, and it's, it's not a problem at all. You know, you, you, you buy what you need. Um, you can kind of count out, what, like, the sort of protein, the calories, all that sort of stuff that's going to best fit your workout regimen and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, off campus, it's, it's very easy. I'm surprised more people don't do it. Off campus, I, or on campus, I can understand why um, it's going to be a little bit more problematic, you know. What is your diet look like? What is it? What do you try to? Because I know that protein is a kind of a there's a misconception that vegan or vegetarian diets mean a protein deficiency, and how do you combat that? Yeah, <laughs> I think that there's that's the biggest misnomer about eating plant-based. That by not eating meat, excluding meat from your diet, you're going to have a protein deficiency, and I think that that actually. I'm not sure where that comes from because for most of those people who say that, I'm not sure if they're just regurgitating something that they've already heard in a past argument or if that's something they genuinely believe. However, uh, the way I would kind of wager against them would be, do you know how much, how much percentage of the protein intake that you're getting is coming from meat? And I'd be willing to bet that most of them would say no. I mean, I don't think most people know how much protein is in the average you know, 12 ounce chicken breast or a steak or a hamburger. When they're eating a hamburger, I'm not really, I'm, I'm assuming that they're not thinking, okay, there's X amount of protein in this beef patty. Um, and I think that when you look at, uh, I, think, I think that there is potential for 
a plant-based diet to have a protein deficiency, depending on how you approach it. If your idea is, let's say you have a plate and you have a potato some, or some sort of carb, so rice, potatoes, whatever it may be, some greens, some vegetables, and then a protein source, like let's say a chicken breast. And if your idea of eating a plant-based diet is simply to remove the chicken breast, then of course you're going to have some deficiency in a variety of areas because all you're doing is taking away and picking holes in your diet. If you just leave your diet as is like that, just simply with the absence of meat, you're going to have some deficiencies. Whereas I think that you can do, just like with any diet, it can be very healthy if you replace it with tempeh or tofu or edamame, Ezekiel bread, peanut butter, uh, impossible burger, meat. Uh, th I mean, there's the quinoa, falafels. I mean, there's such a wide variety of things that you can eat that have ample supply of protein uh, that are actually, you know, scientifically speaking, healthier than that of meat. So it's just, I think it's just a major misconception people have about um, not being able to get enough protein. I think that once you're once you become a little more conscientious about the protein that you are taking in, especially when you're eating a plant-based diet, because you want to make sure that you're getting you know, enough supply of protein, especially if you're working out. I think that once you're doing that, I've found that my protein intake is actually substantially higher than it was when I was eating meat, because it wasn't something that I was thinking about. Now I make a conscious effort to be like, okay, this is what I'm eating, and this is, these are my protein sources, and so now I think I'm getting more protein, or I know I'm getting more protein than I was back when I was an omnivore. If you could like give your past self advice for starting this, what do you call it, Flexi flexitarian? Flexitarian journey? Yeah, I just say plant-based because it's easier, yeah. you know what I mean? If you had any advice for your past self or someone that wants to go on this journey? I tell, because I used to be the same way of thinking, oh, like I don't want to become all emaciated or I don't, don't want to lose a bunch of weight and that kind of thing. And I, th I that's what I tell my older self, I, I, my, my younger self, excuse me. I just tell that person, whoever it is that is kind of on the fence, considering um, you know, shifting their diet in that direction, I just tell them to do it. I think that the benefits, I mean, I think that there's an element of it that seems kind of scary. You know, like, oh, because I mean, I loved meat, you know, eating chicken wings and hamburgers were some of my favorite foods. However, the more that I started to look into it, and the more that I saw the just horrible ways in which the Western world was uh, obtaining their meat through these massive feedlots that were the cause of, um, uh, deforestation and the loss of biodiversity and um, pushing wildlife closer and closer to the brink of extinction, I just realized that I was a major hypocrite to say that I was truly concerned about the well-being of the environment and wildlife, the flora and fauna of the world, when I was going home at night and putting a steak on my plate. And so I think more and more that voice inside my head was telling me, okay, dude, you, you probably need to, you, you should, you're, you're a hypocrite unless you don't make that switch. I didn't want to because I loved meat. And I just had this notion of like, oh, like to be an athlete, to be able to work out, to be able to do all that sort of stuff, you need meat. And I didn't realize that that's just simply not true. It just isn't. Um, human beings don't need meat to survive, nor do they need it to uh, uh, have ample supply of muscle mass or be able to phys physically um, operate correctly. And so that would be my advice. Just do it. It's really not that difficult. Um, it's a little bit of a learning curve. The hardest thing I think would actually be um, sort of the social stigma around it in some cases. You know, I think a lot of people you get those questions, um, and I think sometimes when you're in social scenarios, because so many people do eat meat, um, and that's just such a prerogative of what what they want to go eat, that can make it somewhat tough. But once you're able to kind of get past that, which is very possible to get past that, and you will get past that, it's not a, it's not a hard thing to do at all. And I think you just feel better about yourself. I feel a far less hypocritical than I was before because of that reason. You know. 
yeah, it's very interesting though because I feel like I'm in the same I'm in the same place that you were before you changed your your diet because I'm in the mindset of I really want to uh, you know fix my ecological footprint. I want to make that as, as decrease as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think um, more and more as I think society is starting to change and you're seeing a bit of a shift now. I mean, and more and more of these more mainstream restaurants you're starting to have and these chain restaurants across the United States, there's more of this option. You're seeing the Impossible Burger, the advent of that at Burger King. Uh, Impossible Burger meat is starting to take, um, in terms of sales, there's an uptick in that. So it's now surpassed um, most of the major beef retailers in uh, sales numbers. Um, you know, at Chipotle, you can toss sofritas in there, which is just a spiced tofu, which is, you know, doesn't taste that different than meat. Um, so there's a lot of options now for going out as well that cater to a plant-based diet. It's harder depending on the municipality that you're in. Being in Mesa County, it can be somewhat more difficult. But even then, there's still options and there's still restaurants out there that um, cater to that diet. But yeah, I think that when, you're, when you know, when you kind of feel that, like, maybe I should do it, it seems like maybe it's the right thing to do. But then, you know, the social stigma that comes along with that, coming from a family where meat is a big element to, a staple to what you eat on holidays, what you eat on the day-to-day, -day, that kind of thing. It's not an easy step to make, but once you do it, when you look back in hindsight, you're like, oh, you know, it really wasn't that hard. Yeah. And how do you, how does that fit into your your lifestyle back home when you're with your family? You know, because um, like you said, holidays, people, you know, they eat different kinds of meat or there's different traditions. Um, how does your family, or how do you adapt to that? Well, it was funny what ended up happening. My mom was a vegetarian and she became a vegetarian in college because she just realized it was cheaper. That's another thing about it too. Meat's expensive, and when you're able to eliminate that from your diet, you tend to have, uh, and again, it depends on the person, but for the most part, the tendency is that you're gonna have a less steep grocery bill week to week. And so that's why she ended up going vegetarian. I think part, part of it was because her roommate was too. And what I found was, now that I went vegetarian, and my dad and my brother, I mean, they're more, I mean, they're carnivores, and they eat more meat than they do vegetables. Um, hardly even can consider them omnivores. But then, and I have two bro younger brothers, when I came back and I started talking about how I felt like my stamina was up in the gym, um, I was able to still maintain and even gain muscle um, while working out on a plant-based diet. My youngest brother made the switch to fully vegan, and then my mom is more so on the same sort of thing. My youngest brother, is, he's a football player. He's a high school football player. Um, and so I think, and then my roommate as well, he also made the switch to um, eating vegetarian. He's not vegan, but he's vegetarian as well. And so I think that once people can even see that, oh, it works, it works for this person, and it's, you know, there's no crazy supplements, there's nothing crazy to main, you know, maintain their health, it, there's an appealing element to it because of that, what we just talked about, that sort of moral element of um, uh, it's just the right thing to do for the environment because of the harm that meat is currently doing uh, when it's mass produced like it is right now. So I think what ended up happening is you had a lot more people following suit, um, uh, replicating in the, the choices I had made and uh, choices I had made because somebody else had made them before me. And so um, it kind of goes away. And I think the problem is like you have grandparents, like you know, I've got a German grandma, and if you've ever been to Germany, it's real hearty bread, a lot of meat, um, a lot of gravy. It's, 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 it's a hard thing to be plant-based around, you know what I mean? But she was understanding about it, and there's just, you know, you just don't eat meat. It's, it's fairly straightforward, um, and it gets easier the more you do it, you know. You kind of get in, you have to kind of find a rhythm and a groove, but once you do, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever go back because it's, it's really not a hard thing to do, and it's cheap. Yeah. That's another huge thing.
for me, like I come from one of those families where they're yeah. meat eaters yeah. in, in every sense of that term. And I tried, you know, vegan wary where it's like in January, you don't eat meat and like any of those products. I yeah. tried that and it was so hard with my family just because oh, right. like that's the culture I was with because I was staying with them at the time. But I think if I like truly did it on my own out here in Grand Junction, that I would have an easier time. But I don't think that should mean to like stop your journey just because of the like social factor or like, I don't know, the influence of other people. You should do what you think is right and what you think is best for you and the environment or your beliefs, you know? And there's no doubt though that, I mean, I, I agree that you, that's still what you should do, but not at the same time, you know, I think that there's that, that sort of, that feeling, that social element that comes from a family that where meat is such a huge element of their, of their diet um, or friends where that's the main prerogative, like let's go out to Taco Bell, let's go get hamburgers. Um, that, that sort of social feeling that still very much exists and that's a hard thing to overcome initially. Um, I think what people just need to know is that at some point it's like, well, it's a diet. You know, it's your own personal choice. You have the right to do whatever you think is the best way to do it. If you can make it work, which you can, um, then really just go for it. I mean, I, every single person that I know who has gone for it, whether they're an athlete, whether they're not an athlete, whether it's somebody who wants to gain weight, someone who wants to lose weight, it's all worked. It's all catered just as good, if not better, than um, a diet that has meat to it. Yeah, I remember I watched a, uh, actually I watched it with you. Game Changers? Yep. Yeah. And that was a really interesting documentary, uh, just showing how these incredible world athletes can have plant-based diets and still succeed the same, if not better. It's a phenomenal documentary because, and I love it, uh, because what it ended up doing was it, it promoted uh, a plant-based diet, but it also appealed a plant-based diet to those who tend to be the most resistant to it, males, especially male athletes. Um, because there's, they especially tend to have this sort of stigma, I had it too, um, that for whatever reason, it's just not gonna be conducive to be able to perform well uh, in whatever sport they're playing, be able to uh, gain muscle, all that sort of stuff. And what Game Changers did was it showed, no, 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 there's all of these, there's tons of people out there, scores of people out there, world-class athletes who are operating on a, and fueled by a plant-based diet, and they're still the, the best in whatever sport that they're uh, competing in. And so I think that that, re that that documentary really did change the game, pun intended, because um, it just kind of went to show people that that idea of what a vegetarian or plant-based eater is, that real kind of small save the trees kind of skinny guy out there protesting, that's not what it has to be and that's not really what it is. The reality is just that that's not exclusively what it is. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about um, trying to kind of break through those sorts of norms that people place on environmentalism and that it really is a human thing and that we can all do it, we can all make a difference. And eating a plant-based diet is a phenomenal way to make a difference. Um, I think I saw something just the other day, I can't remember it, but it was saying that, um, you, you guys know how much uh, air travel and aviation contributes um, in terms of the amount of carbon it produces and that kind of thing. Well, they were saying that the best thing that an individual can do on their own to fight climate, the climate crisis is to stop eating meat and switch to a plant-based diet. It's the most impactful thing that a single individual can do, even more so than just stop, stop flying altogether. So I think that that just, I mean, that, that be, I think that those who really, really want to make a difference and feel too small to do so, I would say that phasing out meat, if you haven't already, is going to be the most effective at being able to accomplish that. That's interesting. This has all been really good information, and I love that we had you on here to not only talk about Sustainability Council, but also talk about 
you know, your plant-based diet and how other people, because I know that college students really struggle when they, you know, when you move from your home and then come onto a college campus or you go from a college campus into living on your own, it's really hard to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with my diet? What am I going to eat? You know, do I want to do plant-based? Do I want to keep, include some meat? Do I want to do all meat? And it's been really interesting to hear about, you know, how easy it actually is to really, you know, change your diet to plant-based. You can phase it out slightly too. You don't have to make this radical thing of just suddenly like, I'm not going to eat any more animal products. You can just say, hey, beef, maybe not something that should be eaten daily, just on maybe special occasions. I'll start to slowly phase out things like pork. I'll maybe have still chicken and whatnot. And you slowly work to phase certain things out. So it's not just this like throwing you right in the deep end, right off the bat. I think that that's probably the best way to go about doing it, especially for those where meat really is a huge part of their diet. Mm -hmm. So that's, that'd be my, that's how I did it. And that seems to be the most, um, the easiest way for those who are kind of on the fence. I agree. Well, thank you for yeah, thank you so giving us all of this knowledge. Yeah, guys, thanks again for having me on the podcast. This was a really cool idea. So I'm really excited about this. 100%. I hope all of our listeners learned a few things and hopefully they can go on their own little individual journeys in the future. I think next we're going to talk about uh, sustainable fashion and how we can work sustainability into that aspect of our life. Thank you literally the absolute most to Ryan for coming on and sharing his journey with food and with Sustainability Council and we really just appreciate him helping us out and also Tatiana can you talk to us about how Ryan basically got us to do this podcast. Over winter break, Ryan approached me about this idea that he had to start a podcast about environmentalism and sustainability. He thought that since me and Maddie are so passionate about sustainability and uh, sustainability on CM at CMU and in Grand Junction, um, he thought that we would be great hosts for this podcast, um, which I think is really funny because we're both mass comm students. Um, who have some <laughs> some environmental science background, but not much. Very limited. Very limited, yes. But yeah, and he, it, I thought it was a great idea, and I thought we should give it a try. And and uh, so far, it's been a really cool experience. And I, Ryan did an incredible job today, uh, talking about his plant-based diet, talking about sustainability council. Um, I see has, that he has, he's taken sustainability council and really. Um, he, he's really gotten a lot of CMU involved in it, and I'm really proud of him for that. Um, so thank you, Ryan, for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for making a good push on campus, and also to all of our listeners, if you go to CMU, join Sustainability Council. It's super chill, laid back. You don't have to commit. Like, you could just check it out and see what you're interested in helping out with, and it's really cool experiences. And like Ryan said, he's trying to make climate change and sustainability a human problem. And instead of just having a niche group of people on campus who care about the environment, he really wants to get Sustainability Council involved with everyone on campus. He wants to make everyone feel involved. And I think, you know, there's no better time to join Sustainability Council than now if you're thinking about it. Yeah, precisely. We all need to start somewhere and we can start together. So I'm really excited for the future of Sustainability Council and I think it's in great hands with Ryan. So shout out to him always. And shout out to our fashion discussion for this week. We're going to talk about thrifting and also comparing that with fast fashion because Tatiana and I kind of come from different ends of the world in regards to fashion. She's definitely more into actual fashion and I just like grandpa sweaters that oh I find gosh. from Goodwill. Yeah. Your outfits are so cute. I love them. You 
thrift them. And that's what I really admire, is that you are able to make these cohesive, cute looks in a sustainable way. And that's something that I'm still working on. I try to thrift as much as possible, um, but I am not from the, I'm not from Grand Junction. I'm from the Front Range um, near Fort Collins. And so for me, it's so easy to just pop into a store and grab a shirt or pop into Target and grab some clothes or, you know, pop into different stores. And I don't really think about the sustainability aspect of it. Um, and that's something that I'm really trying to work on and really trying to make myself more conscious of. Definitely. And I think there's so much put into the fashion industry that people tend to look past in regards to the sustainably sourced materials, whether they're sustainably sourced or not. And also the conditions that workers are put through, like if they're paid a living wage or not, and also the materials that they use. And it's just, it's definitely a complex process. And so I think it's important to look at where you get your clothes from and uh, places like, what would you say are the primarily fast fashion stores in the US? Oh, definitely. Um, well, in store wise, um, as far as physical stores, Forever 21, H&M, um, you know, different stores like that. And then also online, uh, Zoffel, Sheen, different stores like, you know, that are committed to giving you clothes that are super cheap and very affordable and very cute. And that is always a big seller for those those companies. Um, but you also have to think about some of these companies are, you know, pretty harmful for the environment and pretty harmful um, just in general, like Forever 21, like H&M. But then there's companies like Patagonia who, you know, even though they are really big corporations, they still have, a, they still maintain a certain level of sustainability in their products. Um, but that's the other side of the spectrum is they are, they're way more expensive. And you have to think, okay, do I want to pay more for these clothes, even though they're going to be more sustainable? Or do I want to thrift and see what I can find there? Um, and try, try to eliminate fast fashion in your life as much as possible. I know that it can be hard if you come from a city uh, background because these clothing stores are so accessible and so easy to go to. And they, I, I love H&M personally. And H&M, um, even though they have some interesting clothes and not all of it's for me, I still can pop in there and grab a couple items if I'm you know, in a hurry. And I have to think, okay, I would rather pay more for more sustainable clothes or I would rather put in more time to go look in a thrift store and see what I can find. Definitely. And I think that's a huge dilemma that we have, especially as college students, is like deciding if we need to go with what's ethically derived or what we can afford. And getting a tank top for $3, that sounds like such a steal, because it is. But you have to look at so much more than the deal that you're getting. And for me, it's really important to look at the workers too, like past the sustainably, past the sustainable aspect of it all. I think it's important for workers to have a living wage and to have conditions where they are treated respectfully and like a human being that deserves rights. So yeah. yeah, it's hard and it's definitely a process, but I think just being aware of those fast fashion places like Sheen and Forever 21 and everything that you previously mentioned, I think that's such a good place to start and to be like, I'm going to crack down on myself and not give in to these deals because you know, what's past it is not ethical. And then the other thing is, um, 
you know, even these really big companies like, for example, Nike, um, they are, you know, they, they do some shady stuff. And I am a large purchaser of Nike apparel and Nike shoes. I'm not thinking about the sustainability aspect or the humanitarian aspect. I'm thinking of the the style and how it's going to look and it, you know, I am blinded by that aspect of it. Um, but you know, you have to think about even these really big companies who are saying that, oh, we're sustainable and we're doing all of this and you know, we're really working to make sure that we're a, a good company uh, are still not there yet. Climate change is becoming a m bigger issue now and global sustainability is becoming it's becoming more spoken about. It's becoming, you know, the, a lot of the media is talking about it. A lot of people are different people around the world are talking about it. Different companies are starting to talk about it. And it's definitely something that's on everyone's mind these days. Um, so I think that if you are able to, you know, slow down a little bit and think about where your clothing is coming from, um, that's one way to decrease your and your ecological footprint. It's one way that you can become more sustainable. Definitely, and more than buying clothes that are made of good material and sustainably sourced materials and that are like ethical in their production, it's important to also use your clothes for a long time or like give them up, you know, don't just throw them away when you're done with them because that's also an issue of clothes just filling up landfills when there's so many other uses you could get out of them. So I'm a really big fan of thrifting, I love that. and. Yeah, as long as we, all of us together, continue to question where our clothing is coming from, I think that's a good start. Um, let's segue into the product of the week. I'm super excited to talk about the product of the week because we're going to discuss makeup remover wipes, which are so bad for the environment because they're made up of these synthetic fibers that can't be decomposed, and also those flushable wipes that they say they're flushable, they're not. Makeup remover wipes are not flushable. So when people put them down the drain, it becomes this one term. Oh, let me, let me get this correct. Oh, yes. So when these makeup remover wipes are flushed and they go into our sewage systems, they're termed fatbergs because the wipes collect and combine with fat particles, and this is what causes the sewage backups and spills, and it's absolutely disgusting, and it's also so unhealthy for our wildlife and for us because of the added bacteria. So for the product of the week, I'm gonna talk about reusable makeup remover pads, and there's so many different forms that you could get this in. There are organic muslin cloths that you could use, and there's cleansing mitts, which that is very exciting. I feel like a celebrity just wiping my entire palm on my face to get the makeup off. And there's also this brand called Croon, and they give out little packages of daily exfoliating pads that are reusable and can be used up to 200 times, washed up to 200 times. And then there's also a company called Face Halo, and they sell original makeup removers, reusable ones for $22, you could get a set of three. So you could definitely order online. You can research what would best fit you, whether it's a glove or whether it's a little reusable cotton pad or bamboo pad. But I just think it's so important to look at the daily waste that we're giving off, especially with something that's consistent as makeup. 
and sure it's like it's always about ease yeah ease of access is something that i would say limits us in becoming more sustainable so i really appreciate these makeup remover pads that i got and i think they're so helpful and i hope to use more sustainable makeup in the future and hopefully talk about more products once i've explored more yeah and maddie came up with this idea um to talk about these reusable makeup uh removers or pads sorry um and i thought that was a great idea because i haven't really looked into that personally um i didn't even think about that i always just use uh like a liquid uh oil-free makeup remover and then with cotton ball um, but that makes it so much more sustainable just to use a pad to get that off that i can keep reusing up to you said 200 times which is amazing um, so it's definitely something i'm gonna look into hopefully some of you guys also look into that uh, just to kind of you know make our daily lifestyles a little bit more sustainable. 100%. If you wear makeup, you should definitely check and do your research of what textures you would like best, but reusable is the way to go, honey. Well, thank you guys for listening to our second episode. I can't believe it's already over. This one was so interesting. I absolutely loved it. I feel like we talked about so many things that were so interesting. Talking, talking to Ryan about sustainability council was awesome. Talking about different plant-based diets, talking about fashion and different products that we can use and we're hoping that each episode uh, we can give you guys a different product of the week and that we can also give you guys a different food and fashion tip of the week uh, just to make your lives a little bit more sustainable. Exactly. We hope to continue to bring light to important things in the community and sustainability. And, and also if you guys are following Sustainability Council on Instagram, if you're subscribed to their emailing list, um, also if you are following the PR club on Instagram. We're gonna be promoting uh, this podcast through Spotify on all of those platforms. So stay tuned, hope you guys keep listening. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.